tonight I'd like to explore a question, a question of what would it mean to move from an unfree, bound life to a free, boundless life? And really what that means in the practice, because surely the teachings are about living a free life. And so what does that mean for each of us here in very real ways? I'm going to pull a few ideas together, and I don't know whether I have enough ideas to fill the whole time, so I thought that maybe I would extend the question out to you and ask for some of your reflections as well because I know that there is a lot of wisdom in this group and ways that you're exploring this for yourself. So, see if that might happen. So just to alert you (laughs) to that. I'd like to start by uh, telling you a story about something that I engaged in last year, last summer here in England, called a vision quest. And I wanted to tell you a bit about this because for me, the four days that I spent in solitude up on the moor, on Dartmoor, um, last year was really quite uh, an insightful experience for me and helped me answer this question. Of course, it's not a question that is ever answered, but more of a question that is held of what does it truly mean to live a free life. So I went, I was in, there was one friend who was facilitating these vision quests in the area. Uh, Catherine's done one as well. <laughs> and I went up on the moor last year. The, those, I think everybody knows the Dartmoor, up, to, up in the wilds of England that way, <laughs> the wild, the wilderness of England. And um, the plan was to spend four days in solitude and fast. So four days of fasting and in solitude. The interesting thing is that the Buddha speaks about spending time in solitude. And we often translate that as coming to a retreat and being in solitude. But actually, there's a big difference between being on a retreat in solitude and being really in solitude. (laughs) Being completely left on one's own when there aren't any people around. There's nobody around. It's just really left with yourself. And having had experienced these four days of solitude, I really understood what the difference was because it pushed me into a very different relationship with myself than I had ever experienced before, because I hadn't done something like this before. So going up on some private place or secret place on the moor, and having a support system around, having these two people who were down in what's called base camp in in case I ran into trouble or needed any help, I knew where I could go and get help, and there were also some ways of sending signals in case I couldn't actually get to base camp. So it was very well supported. So that's a, that was a very um, 
was probably the only way that I could enter into this experience at that time, knowing that there was some support down um, at the end if I needed it. So going out to my, my place, my spot, finding my spot, going out to my spot, and then knowing that's where I would be for four days, without any food, having water, and in my case, having a small stream running by my spot and having a pump so that I could actually pump my water into a container and didn't have to carry my water out. So just with the water, just with myself, just in, in solitude. And in thinking about it, it seems like it can kind of be quite ideal and quite lovely and quite pleasant to just be out there with the elements, out there with nature. But in England, <laughs> there's always another element <laughs> that one uh, has to be prepared to confront, and that is rain. So, I mean, yes, it, sometimes it rains and then it stops and it rains and it stops, but somehow on this particular four days on the calendar, it decided to rain for nearly four days. I think this was, I don't remember the month, but I think it might, might have been June um, when you would think that there'd be some possibility of some nice weather. So it did decide to rain, and all I was out there with was a, a tarp. I just a uh, canvas sheet and a sleeping bag. That was about it. And so I was really pushed. <laughs> I was really pushed. And so it's, it was raining when we walked out. Well, there were some other people in different places. It was raining when I walked out. So I thought, okay, you know, it's raining now, but you know, surely it's going to stop. And it didn't stop. It just kept raining and raining and raining. So not only was I was out there on my own in the spot, <laughs> but I had a sheet, a canvas sheet, and a sleeping bag, and that was it. A little water, a lot of water. <laughs> and so it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. In fact, it kept pushing me further and further into what we call dukkha into something very unpleasant, getting wetter. And as I walked out, my boots got sopping wet. So my boots were wet from the time I went out. No, no dry, no dry uh, boots. And just sitting there. <laughs> Couldn't really do much walking because it was raining hard. And I'd have to put all my rain gear on and walk out and then take all my rain gear out just to get to my little spot so I didn't bring all the wet into my little spot with the canvas over it. So I just sat there a lot of the time, just sat there and peered out and sat there. One day goes by, another day goes by. (laughs) Not as much stimulation as you even have right here. Not as much diversion. And the starting to get rather sick from the fast as well, feeling hungry. No, not even any stimulation from the food, which is really the highlight. Starting to feel sick, physically sick. Starting to be a little (laughs) wondering whether I have the capacity to even do this. Mm -hmm. I think maybe in the afternoon of the second day, there's a little bit of sunshine. and feeling like, all right, now I can do it. 
And maybe about an hour later, the rain starts coming again. Another night of rain. Lying there in my sleeping bag, in the nestled under a tree with a, with a, in the dirt. And when you're kind of nestled in the dirt and the, and the creatures and all the other animals and creatures around don't actually know that you're any different than a tree stump or the earth. So they come crawling, you know, the worms and snails and the <laughs> waking up in the night with a big snail in my head and taking it off. <laughs> You know, just start something starting to talk about in starting to feel embodied in the you know into the earth element, <laughs> starting to go deeper and deeper into that sense of not being any different than just these elements all around me. It's the water and the earth, and the air and the wind, and then the fire, the heat that was keeping me. Um, keeping some temperature going in my body. So very aware of how my body was starting to become very elemental. And not, not much difference between that outer and the inner. And I had nowhere to go. Nothing to do. Nothing that I could preoccupy my mind with. I mean, even reading wasn't recommended. <laughs> it would get probably pretty uninteresting quickly. Just so clearly a distraction from what was really going on because the experience was starting to get rather intense. It's rather physically sick and rather bored and wondering whether I was going to be able to do this. When I was sick, when I started getting really sick, and that can happen sometimes with the nausea from fasting the third morning, All I had was my walking meditation. It seemed like such a wonderful refuge for me just to be able to go out into the rain and just walk back and forth and back and forth and nothing else to do. I could complain and I could worry and I could get upset about the fact that, well, I mean, I chose to get myself into it. I couldn't blame it on anybody. (laughs) But just to be with those physical sensations and that physical sickness and just walk back and forth and back and forth. Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. So I started to ask myself the question, am I bringing this suffering on myself? Not by making the choice to come out here, but is there some way that by being right in the middle of these conditions, really, really, difficult conditions, nowhere to run to, nothing to escape to, not even a pleasant day. Is there some way that I could free my mind so I wouldn't feel this dukkha? And this became a very fascinating question for me. Is the dukkha inherent in the conditions of the situation Or is the dukkha, the suffering, the pain, because of what I'm bringing on in my own mind? And what would it mean if I was really in an equanimous state and I was in the same conditions, but because my mind was equanimous, I wouldn't feel the pain? And this was very fascinating to me. 
So I would walk up and down and up and down. Is there any way out? Is it really that I'm trapped by my own mind? Or is it just the conditions? Is it just the nature of the conditions? And I could see how I was setting up this either-or, either dukkha, or pain, suffering, or equanimity. If I really was able to be equanimous, I wouldn't be experiencing the dukkha. But as I kept going with it, and I had lots of opportunity, (laughs) there wasn't anything else to do. And the rain was still coming down. I just kept looking at this and looking at this. And what it seemed to me was it wasn't that I was bringing this on, this on myself. I was feeling physically ill. It was very awful conditions. I was wet. I was cold. I had nowhere to go. I had no food. I was just left there. I, it, what I really started to see was that this was inherent in the conditions. And my mind wasn't really in that much of a reactive state. I was just feeling. I was just totally into my body. I was totally into what the situation and what was happening. And that what was being asked of me, what was being invited, was... Did I have the capacity to be with these difficult conditions? What was my capacity? What were my inner resources? What could I draw on within myself that I could handle something like this? And it shifted the whole question for me. Not that the conditions had to change, not that I actually had to get out, get, change the conditions, whether the conditions of my mind, mostly the conditions of my mind, that I didn't have to change the conditions of my mind in order to... I'm just starting to lose a little bit of the train of thought here. I'll, st- I'll just go back. The, the conditions that I was in didn't have to change. But could I open... Could I open? Could I increase my capacity to be there? And I realize this is so powerful in life because we keep trying to change the conditions. We keep thinking that if we could change the conditions that we find ourselves in some way, then we will be freer. Then we will feel some kind of freedom inside. But I realize it's not about changing really even the inner conditions of feeling the pain, feeling the, the, uh, uh, the wanting, wanting to even get out of it in some way. But right there, can I increase my capacity? Can I open to this? Can I really embrace the situation? But the interesting thing is that we all have a certain capacity. Depending on who we are, depending on our past influences, the conditions of our past, in this moment we are brought to a certain capacity. That's it. 
it's like we want to be somewhere that we're not. We want to, we, we wish or we hope or we expect that we can be somewhere that we're not, that we could have more capacity than we have. But we all have a limited capacity. So for me, during this day, by the third afternoon, when it kept raining, (laughs) I realized that I had hit my capacity, that I didn't have any more resources, that I had gone as far as I could in this situation. And it was such an interesting point for me because I, I had to be right there with, well, am I going to stop? Or am I going to push? Or am I going to somehow expect that I should be able to handle this and then start pushing myself into the situation, start forcing it, forcing my capacity? And I realized that that really would be the point of suffering. That would be the point when I started bringing on my own suffering and it was no longer the conditions that I found myself in, but that I had actually gone to the edge of what I could handle, which was a lot already, a great deal already. And so what I had to do after doing my walking meditation back and forth and back and forth and really asking myself, is it time to go down to base camp? Is it time to go down? Because that was the offer. That's why those guys were down there. Because if there was any point that we just felt we couldn't handle it anymore, or we got into some danger, or we couldn't do it, go down to base camp. That's why they're there. So it was quite a moment having to really honor and acknowledge that I had hit my limit. I hit my capacity. And so I knew that that was the right thing to do, and I went down to base camp. And I said, here I am. I can't do it. And the, the fellow said, ah, you know, I was wondering if you were going to come down. I just didn't know. I thought you, you wouldn't even make it through one night. And this was just before the third night. He said, oh, you know, just, you know, here, have a cup of soup. You know, <laughs> have a blanket, have a cup of soup, you know. And it was really wonderful and taking care of me. And the interesting thing in the Vision Quest model is that even by coming down to base camp, you don't break your Vision Quest. We just change the conditions. <laughs> so what he suggested was just, would you like, there's a tent up on the hill over here, just outside of the camp. Would you like to go in there? And so that sounded fantastic. <laughs> A tent. <laughs> so I, I was just so relieved, and I just took my things and just went into that tent. And I passed the uh, the last night. Actually, this was probably no. I'm sorry. This was the the fourth night because I had I'd gone through the. This was just the fourth night. So I'd gone through the first night, the second night, and the third night. So this was the fourth night, the last night I had to get through. And so he said, we'll just go into the tent. And I passed my fourth night in the tent. And from the moment I went into the tent, I went into complete bliss. 
for the whole night. <laughs> just fell into this place of bliss. And the only thing that had changed was I had a tent over my head. <laughs> because that was the, the piece that brought me back to my capacity. That I had the capacity to still continue my vision quest in the fast. I had a little bowl of soup that just, you know, just a little bowl of soup. <laughs> but I could continue the, 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 uh, the solitude, the fasting, and go through the fourth night just by having the tent over my head, which is the next thing that I needed just to go a little bit further. And then the next day, actually finishing the vision quest, which means you actually go through a, a ritual in a circle and come out the other side of the quest, which really is the end of the quest. So it was staying within the boundaries of the quest for the four days. So this was really, really a powerful experience for me because it really helped me understand this question of freedom. That the freedom that I understand now is about expanding or increasing my capacity to open to the immensity of life. And that... I have a limited capacity because of all the influences in my life up to this point, because of all the situations and the conditions that happened to me up to this point, that I haven't learned in certain ways to open to immense pain. I haven't in certain ways faced the immensity of that which means that perhaps I also, also hasn't, haven't opened to the immensity of my joy. But that now gives me some sense of direction so that when I come right up against those difficult places, those points where I feel like I can't go any further, the question for myself is, well, can I stay here? Can I be here? Can I open? Can I just push those edges just a little bit more? Not that I should be able to, not that I should just be able to open, not that in any moment I should just be able to be free in the face of the conditions of life, but that in every moment I'm being offered an opportunity or a challenge. How far can I go? How much can I open? How much can I engage in the present conditions of life? Because we're always involved in some collection or configuration of conditions that are changing all the time. The conditions of our life, the conditions of our inner life, the conditions of our outer life are changing all the time, constantly changing. And so we're continually being presented with a whole new set of conditions with the invitation of, can we open to this? Can we open to this? And it's okay if we can't. It's okay if we can't. It took me so long to get that piece. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I have to, or I should be able to, or something's wrong with me if I can't. But it's just the invitation. 
because I'm a limited being. I'm in a human body. I have a limited mind. I have a limited body. Can I open? And in this way, the practice, the meditation practice, has pushed me very much back into the world. It's not for me about finding some rarefied state or rarefied condition within my own mind and within the conditions around me. I remember for so long thinking that if I really reached some kind of highly evolved state, some really free or enlightened state, it's kind of like, I guess it's like all the fairy tale stories, you know, that, you know, the, the fairy godmother comes with the wand and changes, uh, changes Cinderella into the beautiful um, woman and everything's wonderful. You know, everything turns to light and stars and everybody's beautiful and, and the palace is shining. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that somehow the view or the vision is that everything is, 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 is light and shining. And I really had that view that somehow I would become something that would just be ecstatic and see everything from those, that, those eyes. But rather, somehow it's like I'm being pushed more further into the world, into the earth, into the elements, into the water and the fire and the air and the earth, and actually seeing more and more that that's who I am. That's who I am. And that the more that I experience myself in that true state, then I see that everything really is that. Just made of these raw elements and these raw, kind of raw conditions of life that we just move through. And we're constantly being invited to face life, not to find a way of moving out of it, through our meditation or through the spiritual path. And I think it's quite easy to want to get onto a spiritual path so that we can somehow be free of all of this. You know, and I know I had that idea even about monastic life. For so, for there was a long period of time when I thought that I really wanted to become a nun or some, or, or, or some kind of ordained uh, monastic, so that I could enter into a situation, a monastery, that somehow would be free of a lot of the dukkha or the difficult conditions. And I've since met a number, number of monastics <laughs> and had a number of conversations, and I, whew, <laughs> not like that. There's no escape. There's no escape. We are in life. We are in the conditions of life. And so again and again we are being asked, what are we going to do about that? What are, what are we going to do about the inner conditions of the mind, the, the, the mental activity, the feeling life, the physical life, and the situations that we find ourselves in around us? What's our capacity for being with that? 
And it's okay if we find that we walk into a situation and it's too much. And you say, oh, I don't want to be here, and you walk out. (laughs) Can you also really honor that in yourself? That right now, you don't have the capacity. And sometimes we have to do that. And it's a very real situation in our lives when we are in situations in any, you know, either whether it's something that we find ourselves falling into, we walk into a room or we walk into um, a relationship, whatever it is, and think, wow, what did I get myself into? (laughs) And we say, time out. (laughs) Time out. rather than giving ourselves a hard time about it or those expectations that we should be able to handle it. So the art of backing out, <laughs> or the art, the art of backing off, such an important piece as we're walking this path, so that we're not pushing too hard, we're not, we're not expecting too much of ourselves as we walk this. Because that's really when the dukkha, the suffering, really starts to increase. There are going to be difficult situations. When you leave here, you know, there's been a reprieve in some way. There's a wonderful thing about meditation retreats. But you do get a reprieve. <laughs> and you do get to put a lot of the conditions of your life aside. You come into a very specialized situation. Everything's taken care of for you. You know, for these days, there's not much you have to do. And so you really have a chance to look within and really get a sense of yourself in a very new way, very fresh way. And the seeing can be very clear. And there can be a a very deep sense of restfulness. And there can be the sense that something's really changed. (laughs) And then the sort of subtle and sometimes not, to, not so subtle identification with a new state of mind and a new state of being. Say, oh yeah, something's really happened now. And then before we know it, we go, start to leave tomorrow, we go back into our lives, and wham, something hits us. We're back in some old condition of our life, the old pattern comes up, we respond, and we go, oh no, (laughs) it's back. I thought I left that at the retreat center. I really thought I handled that one. I really thought I got over that one. But the conditions that we enter back into trigger something off and we find ourselves falling back into the same patterns again. So if we're not careful, it's very easy then to say, oh, it was a waste of time, I've lost it, I lost what I got, I didn't really, I really have to start all over again, I better get the guy house schedule and see when the next retreat is that I can go to, I need another retreat. 
But I don't know if we're really looking carefully enough. Because just because the inner conditions, in this case the pattern, returns, and the outer condition seems similar, does that mean nothing has changed? Does that mean nothing has changed? I wonder if there has been an increased capacity to actually be in that situation in a way that you may not have seen before. And if we look carefully enough, we'll see that actually we are entering the situation differently. The pattern may still be there. We still may feel reactive and angry towards a person that that treats us a certain way or says something to us in a certain way. But if we notice, something's probably changed. There's probably a way that we're with ourselves in the situation that may have a qualitative difference. There may be a way that we're actually perceiving that person in a different way. There may be a bit more tolerance, a bit more patience, a bit more kindness, a bit more capacity. And so I really want you to reflect on this and to look at this as you when you go back next week and be a little careful of that sort of that instant response at times of saying, oh no, you know, it, it was all a waste of time. And look and see what, what has changed. What has changed? Where is the freedom? Where is the freedom now that wasn't there before? Because my sense is that something has freed up. Something has freed up. And I have so much faith in this practice. I have so much faith in these teachings that I see it again and again and again. And sometimes people will come into the interviews, you know, people who I've known over years, and they'll uh, start to tell me on, about how, you know, well, there was the first few days of the retreat were really wonderful, and I started feeling much more open and much more restful. But the last two days, things are getting really difficult again, and the old patterns are coming up, and, you know, it's just like it always was. <laughs> and I say, wait a minute. Is it the way it always was? And then I ask them, what about, you know, five years ago or seven years ago when you started the meditation practice? Is it just like that? Just before how you were before you entered the Dharma, before you entered the spiritual life. Is it just like that? And I go, oh, well, (laughs) no, not really. No, there's much more patience. I'm, I'm, I'm able to be with myself in a much more kind way than I ever was before. Now I have much more confidence that I can be with myself in this difficult mind state. And I'm not holding on to it quite as strongly. Now I, I know that it's going to pass, and I'm not quite as identified with it as I was before. I see that it's not so personal. It's not, not me. It's not all of who I am. But it really does change, and I, I am something much bigger than that. You know, on and on, you know. Freedom. 
expressions of freedom. So it's important to look at the ways that we are free rather than always looking at the ways that we're bound. Because the mind can easily get caught in, as we've been talking over the days, in the negative or in the the difficult self-view. But not really examine the ways that the consciousness and the mind and the, the way the being is feeling free. Feeling free in your life. Please do keep alive that reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.